0: Well, this, uh, this morning, it's Child Dedication Sunday, uh, which is kind of an ironic thing. Uh, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, about 30 minutes before I left for Africa with the team that we sent, uh, I found out that we were going to have a fourth. And um, <laughs> that's, that's not exactly how I handled the news myself, Uh <laughs> Really unexpected, you know. So 30 minutes before your, your wife drops you off at the airport, you find that out, and it's like, um, I'll see ya. Have <laughs> fun dealing with that. Uh, so all week long, I've been reminding myself that children are a blessing from the Lord, and uh, we're well on our way to overpopulating the earth. Um, so when we go to Whole Foods, I'm sure someone will tell me that. Um, and Ben, but this is uh, Child Dedication Sunday, and so. It's kind of an important thing here at the church. We really value it. Uh, and if you would turn, we're going to just hit a couple of different scriptures periodically here. And so if you're nimble, um, then you can keep up. If not, feel free to just listen along, uh, and I'll be reading them to you from the NIV. But in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, we see kind of a famous little paragraph where Jesus blesses the little children. And it says in verse 13, people were bringing the little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then it continues later and it says, And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. And the basic idea here is that the adults pushed the kids to the side and said, This is adult time. This is important time, and, and the kid stuff isn't meaningful enough. And Jesus says, you've got it backwards. And he reversed it on him. He said, no, put the kids at the front of the line. And not only that, but they're the example to you adults of how you should, should be in coming into the kingdom of heaven. And he completely reversed it. And so one of the things for the last decade or so when I've been in churches and watched child dedications, that always confused me is um, we, we dedicate the children and we say verbally how important they are but we do it in the announcement time and then we shoo them off the stage and then we get back to the real meaningful adult stuff. And, and that always just didn't seem like it fit right to me. And So when we do child dedications here, uh, we talk about the covenant with the children, we talk about families, and then at the end of the service we bring those families up and we do it. And so that's just a little bit of background on kind of how we do it and why we do it. But the first thing I want to just say this morning is simply that... Um, Parents aren't perfect. Parents aren't perfect. And if you turn to Exodus, I'll kind of show you what I mean. Exodus chapter 20 is the the giving of the Ten Commandments or the stating of the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 20, and then in in verse 12, we see the commandment to honor your father and your mother. And I think every kid that's ever lived uh, has heard that verse quoted. Just a side note, I, was, I lived in Holland when I was age three to six, and, and when we left Holland, I actually spoke fluent Dutch, which was pretty wild. I, I lost it, though, in, in six months after being back. I, it just completely evaporated. And so to this day, the only Dutch words I know are, um, shut up and go to your room, gnar uh, your kammer. Um, and so it's it's amazing, selectively, the phrases that we as parents, you know, will... We'll hang on to. And I think of the Ten Commands, the one we use more than anything else is honor your father and your mother. Uh, And we, we don't remember the other ones like don't steal or, I don't know, those other things. All right, verse 12. It says this, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. And it's a famous little... Commandment, not only because it's the one that has to deal with parents and their kids, and it kind of gets repeated a lot, but it's the one that comes with a promise. It's pretty interesting. It doesn't just say honor your father and your mother. It says do this so that, so that you may live long, and so that uh, in the the land that your your God is giving you, and it's basically so that it may go well with you. Honor your father and your mother, and here's the promise: if you do that, it's going to go well with you. And so it has the distinction of being the the command that has a promise associated with it. Now, why does it have a a promise associated with it? I've asked myself that question a lot. And I think it has a promise associated with it because the reward for doing it isn't tied to the parent. It's tied to God. In other words, your your parent isn't perfect. Their advice isn't always going to be foolproof. Don't do this because your parents are filled with such wisdom that they will never go wrong, you will never stumble, you'll never stub your toe because your parents are perfect. That's not what God is leading people towards. He's saying, honor your father and your mother so that I might be able to bless you. And so you're doing it in obedience to me, and I'm promising I'm going to take care of you. Whether your parents are really smart or whether they're not, that's not the issue. The issue is if you obey them, you're obeying me, and I'm going to take good care of you. And so I remember when I was a high school pastor sharing this with the high school students. And it was, it was like this huge thing to them. I said, your parents aren't perfect. And God knows that. And so when he says obey your parents, he's the one giving you the command. You obey him. You're not obeying your parents because they're flawless. And if you do this, God will take care of you. He will watch over you. He will go with you. Even if your parents make a mistake, God can still fix that. You're obeying Him. And these kids, it was was like an amazing thing for the kids because their number one reason for not honoring their parents was now just taken away. Because every high school kid has learned that their parents aren't perfect. It's like the game's up, you know. And so they've learned it, but you say, it doesn't matter whether your parents are perfect or whether they get it right. That's not the issue. You obey God. And so I love it because my oldest is only six years old now and and she still thinks I'm perfect. (laughs) And I know that there's a day coming, you know, that day's coming when they're going to be in like somewhere, maybe middle school, late middle school, early high school, when all of a sudden it's just like a flash in the night. They get it that that you're not perfect and then you can never fool them ever again, you know. And and so I know that day's coming, but for right now, um, I'm perfect and I kind of like it, you know, it's I, I accept it very well. I don't fight it at all. But. Parents aren't perfect. And so when we come to dedicating the kids to God, we're doing it as imperfect people. We're doing it as parents and as spiritual communities that can't always fully and perfectly fulfill our commitments and always do exactly what is right at every moment of every day. And so parents aren't perfect, but it drives us to the grace of God, doesn't it? And when we realize that we're not perfect, but we dedicate our children anyways to God, it's a cry out to God to say, these are your children too. We're going to do our best, but we need your grace. Second thing is, is that kids aren't perfect. Um, Just a short story. My, My firstborn, Mary Joy was uh, a really interesting kid. And Mary Joy, when she came out, um, when she was really young, was just very astute. She's very cerebral. She's a conceptualizer. She studies things. Very non-expressive. It's just all going on in her head, right? And so when she was like one and a half, I remember actually building an argument for her. This, 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 so that, and then drawing a conclusion. It's like a deductive reasoning thing. And she just would get it, just like that. And it blew me away, because there's my toddler, and I'm reasoning with her philosophically. And I had high school students that couldn't even get a deductive argument, right? Um, And I'm just like, man, um, my kid is just amazing. I'm such a great parent. (laughs) And uh, I'm teaching her these things. And then she she would go only so far, and then she'd stop, and she'd look back, and she'd ask permission for things. And I would I would just say yes or, or no, and I'd be able to to speak with her that way, and she would listen. And I would think I am such a great dad. And she would not complain that much, and she would not cry that much. And I would think, wow, I'm really amazing. Um, and we'd take her to people's houses, and she'd be so good. And then there would be like other families there with other kids. And their kids were just nightmares, right? Knocking things over and screaming and going crazy. And I would look at the parents and I would would just kind of inside shake my head and just go, Wow, um, how much better than them I am. (laughs) Let me count the ways. And so I was at the point of such great dadness that I was expecting um, offers to to come in at any moment, um, to be on a speaking circuit uh, in the Christian world on how to teach other people to be like myself. And I was already thinking of book titles of um, why I'm such a great dad. And, and it was just really getting extravagant, the size of my head. Okay. And then we had Esther. <laughs> um, and it was like a, a pin to a balloon, you know. I mean, gone. And, and I fell from, oh, such lofty heights. And I realized... Um, it had, it had nothing to do with me. I was not a great dad. I had just a very compliant firstborn child. But children are crazy different, one from the next, and they have different strengths and different weaknesses and different personalities, and none of them is perfect. We're not perfect as, uh, as parents, you know, and that's a humbling thing. By the way, here's a side story um, from Africa. I was doing this talk in Burundi, and and uh, and I was talking on Psalm 23, and in, in Burundi it's through a translator. There, Kirundi and French are the two native tongues, and so it's through a translator. And, and I'm talking on Psalm 23, and I basically made this point: um, sheep are stupid, and this psalm likens us to sheep, and so you know we're kind of stupid too. And then I said, you know, sometimes I feel stupid. And then I kind of went off on a side note and said, you know, I've got a girl that works in the office with me, and if you know Kim, that's who I'm talking about. So I've got a girl that works with me in the office who's on this trip, and, and she often reminds me that I'm stupid. And, and I had a big smile on my face, and I just saw looks of horror in the, in the people, and I was just like, okay, and I just went on. Um, well, come to find out later, in, in that culture <laughs> over there, um, that wouldn't be tolerated that somebody would speak to um, their boss or something that way. Um, and that kind of a person should be fired. And so I found that out. And so now, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, if you ever come to our office, you'll realize that Antioch is a church where sarcasm lives. And, uh, and I don't keep up very well. And I'm not as quick as everybody else in the office. But now I've kind of got this thing that I can say to Kim, and that's, um, remember... If we were in Burundi, <laughs> you'd done for. Um, and I don't remember. Oh, uh, our pride. Um, you know, I think having imperfect kids teaches us that, that maybe we're a little more stupid than we think we are, or a little more helpless than we think we are, but no kid is perfect. And so we're not perfect as parents, and it, it forces us to run to God. And to His grace. And He makes up the difference. And our children aren't perfect. And no matter how much we pray and no matter how much we long for them to be perfect and for everything to go well in their life, um, it doesn't always go that way. There's, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about discipline for just that reason. The kids aren't perfect. But we offer these kids to God and we say, You know, God, we're going we're gonna to do our best here. And our commitment is to raise these kids in the knowledge of the Lord but we're crying out for grace, because no matter what kind of a job we do, they're their own children, and, and they're they're going to rise and fall. A lot of them on their own decisions, and and so here's our best offering. But we need your grace. One of the craziest thoughts I ever had was was realizing that even if you were a perfect parent, even if you were a perfect parent, you still couldn't control the outcome. God. Uh, is perfect. And he had children. He still does have children. But he started out with Adam and Eve. And even with a perfect parent, Adam and Eve still fell. They still sinned. And God took and called out a family unto himself, the Israelites, and no matter how much he blessed them and no matter how many miraculous things he did, they still fell. And, and even if we were perfect as parents, um we still need the grace of God because our our children are going to rise and fall, a lot of it, kind of on their own decisions. And so we do the best we can and we we offer them up to the Lord and we plead for grace. And that's really when you break it all down um, where Christianity should take us. It's fascinating when you travel and you get away from everything that's normal, you begin to kind of pare life down and say what's essential. And... Um, what's essential in life is the grace of God. And that it's not just this thing that's up there and we're so desperate for it, but we can't reach it. And we have to work towards it. And it's red light, green light. And every time we make a mistake, it's back to the beginning. What's amazing is that when we pare it down, the grace of God, we're so desperate for it. We need it so much, but it's there. Then when we fall and when we stumble and when we're weak, it doesn't leave us. That's why it's amazing in the Psalms when the psalmist pours out this first person kind of, kind of narrative and, and life story and prayers and all this other thing. The reoccurring themes you see over and over are that God's love endures and then the other phrase is that His love is unfailing. And so all of these things push us back to the grace of God. And that's really why we humble ourselves before a great God and we seek Him. If you'll turn to Joshua this is kind of the theme verse for this morning. And Joshua kind of gets it. And the context here is Joshua is, is leading and he's reasoning with the people of Israel. And they've kind of now settled the land, populated the land. They've had all these battles. And so the question really is now that the commotion has stopped and the dust is settled, are we going to listen to the commands that God gave us and obey Him? Or are we going to get distracted and sidetracked? And Joshua kind of speaks for what's under his control. And he says, "Um, this day you're going to choose who you're going to serve. And then towards the bottom he says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. His commitment in the face of God's commands to him was to say, you know what belongs to me, what is under my control, my area of responsibility, as for this, as for me, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. We've kind of lost that sense of responsibility in modern America, Christian culture. When you go back to the New Testament in Acts, you see a really fascinating thing. When, when Paul and the other apostles would come to an area and they would preach, what would happen was a whole household would come to know the Lord or would get baptized. The, the leader of that household would make a decision and say, as for me and my household, we're going to commit to doing this. And there's a corporate nature to that that we kind of lose. And we think in America, everything rises and falls on that one unique little individual. And so we really take a giant step back and say, I'm going to stay out of it. They're going to make their own decisions. I'm not going to predetermine anything for anybody. And we really remove ourselves. And in doing so, we abdicate our responsibility. You see, the parents, first and foremost, are the primary discipler of their children. It's a weight that God has put on the shoulders of parents it's a blessing that God has put on the parents' of shoulders on the parents, on the shoulders of parents i' I've been like foggy since getting back last week this this week, I was um walking out of the office like i can 't think straight, and I hit speed dial on my phone and to call Tamra and then about fifteen minutes later i've been driving and I'm almost home and I'm driving and I've got this phone just in my hand, and I'm asking myself, why am I holding my phone? I I called her, but I never even put it to my ear. This is really random. It's been stuff happening like that all week, okay? Um, But do you get what's going on here? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the commandment is from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun that we would take everything in life, everything is spiritual, everything can be tied back to God's relationship with us, what God is doing in this world or the lessons we need to learn about virtue, about faith, about love. And God is saying, all day long, take the children and teach them. Disciple them. And it starts with parents. And then it goes on to the spiritual community, and that's a weight of responsibility that we get as a spiritual community as well. And Joshua was taking that and and encapsulating that in one phrase. He says, no matter what happens around me, my declaration is, my dedication is, that with the children that belong to me, with my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's an amazing thing. And I think we really have to ponder that as a, as a spiritual community, as a church, and, and how does that affect different things. And there's a, uh, a new brochure that is brand new as of today that Gary worked on, and it's kind of for our children's ministries. And We're going to be sending it out to all the parents this week, and it's kind of an overview of our whole children's philosophy and and the different programs within it and stuff like that. But on the first page, you'll see Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you'll see the philosophy, which is basically that our buzzword is the color orange, and the color orange is simply this. It represents the teamwork between families represented by the color red and the spiritual community represented by the color yellow. And then when you take the spiritual community and you take the family and you put those together, you have orange. And it's really the teamwork between those two things. And why is that important? It's important because of this. There's a couple things going on. Um, And maybe you know people like this, but there's parents that I run across that basically say, we don't want to indoctrinate our children. It's like a form of manipulation or abuse to brainwash them into the same faith we have. So if we disciple them or if we teach them our views on religion, we kind of make up their minds for them. And so we're going to step back and we're just going to see where they end up. And that's somehow noble because we're not messing with it or we're not monkeying with it. And, and maybe you know some people like that. And, and what's kind of silly about that is simply this, that the spiritual side of life, virtue... Faith, love, even things like prayer, these are aptitudes or capacities that don't just come overnight. They're things that we grow into. And just like a parent, if they stood back and said, you know, I'm not going to teach my kid how to read. I don't want them to read the way I read. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just going to let them be on their own and, and, and see where it takes them. I mean, that would be, that'd be silly. and it would be foolish. And... And it's actually not helping that child progress in some meaningful areas, the capacity to read. And God has told us and instructed us that we have to get in there and we're supposed to teach and raise our young. We're not just supposed to stand back and see what happens and have absolutely no say or no control. And so it's important the family, read, is in there and leading and doing it. Okay. The second thing, though, I think on the other end, there's the mistake that, you know what? The church is going to do it for me. The church is going to spiritually nurture my kids for me, and so um, that's taken care of. So I can turn the TV on for eight hours a day, and our family will just eat TV dinners, and we don't need to talk about God because they're going to get that at church. And the reason that our philosophy is not that, hey, give us your kids. We're going to make them spiritual giants. It's all um, yellow. The reason it's orange is simply this. If we're lucky, the statistics are that the church will get children maybe about 40 hours a year. If you total it all up. 40 hours a year out of all the hours in a year is all we get to spend with them. It's not enough to change or or help disciple or educate a child just in that amount of time. And so it's got to be a collaboration between both. And the church has to come alongside and help. You need other families that you can send your kids to and you know that the same values exist there. You need to be in a community group with other families that have kids. Your kids' age, so you're there helping watch out and reinforce the lessons that each of you are teaching to your kids. You need the church. You need the spiritual community. But it's a collaboration of both those things and we can't step back and think that it's just going to happen on its own. And I think the other thing that we've done wrong in the last 150 years, especially, or or certainly since the advent of fundamentalism, is we've gone into it and not recognized that children aren't perfect, um, but that God still loves them and is working in their life. And so, what fundamentalism did is they approached children as objects of wrath. They're not yet saved, they're not yet in the kingdom. That means they're not under God's grace, they're under God's wrath. And what we need to do is try and control them and always force them to make really big spiritual decisions that maybe they're not ready yet for. And that's what our focus and priority has kind of been in the church with children. Rather than getting in there and educating and working with them and nurturing with them and encouraging them and and picking them up but not pushing them beyond where they are, The funny thing about the passage in Mark is that if children were really objects of God's wrath and under His judgment, then Jesus couldn't have put His hand on their forehead and blessed them. And you see, the last 100 years with fundamentalism has really been a break with the tradition of kind of understanding Scripture as a unified whole. there's a lot of things that have crept in that are kind of weird. And if you understand Scripture as a unified whole, you go all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 and walk all the way through, and you see that children are there to be educated, not as outsiders in the kingdom, but as children of believing parents. Heirs of the covenant was always the phrase. And that God has a special place in His mind for them. And there's an age of accountability someday when they need to basically take on all the things that they've been taught. But they're there to be nurtured. And they're there in the community. And so when you get to to Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, what does Peter say to these people? They say, what must we we do? Here's this message of Jesus. Here's this message of of kind of the new covenant. And what what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And he says, this promise is for you and for your children. You see, the children were always included in the promises and in the covenants, and, and God always has a special place for them. And when Peter's talking to the, the Jewish mind, he says, this promise is for you, and it's not like your, parents or your kids are on the, the shelf until you push them into some kind of a commitment. He's saying, this is, this is a promise for you and your children. So love them and teach them and nurture them and help them grow along don't just spend all your time with the children trying to enforce behavior control now what i mean maybe that sounds like just a lot of weird stuff but here's how it really comes home the current statistic is this that 80% of high school students in the church okay eight out of every 10 High school students that claim to be a Christian that would be in this church or any other church, by the end of their first year at a secular university, will have walked away from their faith. I mean, does that, does that rattle your cage at all? I mean, does that seem like crazy to you? Kids that have been raised in the church, 8 out of 10 of them now, after the first year of, of college, are going to walk away from the faith. And I think part of the reason that is, is they haven't been pushed towards grace. Imperfect parents didn't push them towards the grace of God. And imperfect parents didn't tell them, you know what, I understand you're imperfect too, and there's grace for that. And they didn't push them back to the grace of God in that. Rather, the church came along and said, your behavior, your external behavior has to be absolutely perfect. And you've got to be whitewashed and cleansed and you've got to look good to everyone else in the church. And we spend so much of our energy trying to control behavior and, and make children feel like they had to measure up and be perfect. And not enough time talking about grace that by the time kids get to college and they're now free to make their own decisions, the church is heavy and oppressive and negative and legalistic and they don't understand the grace of God. And that's what we're living with. And so, as we come to this dedication time, it's not hollow stuff. We come saying that as a spiritual community, we value the education and the nurture of these children. We come as parents saying that as for me and my household, we're committing to offer these kids up to God's grace. It's huge. I mean, some of you are sitting out there and you're saying, you know what? I wish maybe that had been my experience. I don't feel like I really know the grace of God. Day in and day out, I wasn't pushed back to the grace of God. Those phrases, unfailing love or enduring love, they don't really sink in well in the sea of my emotions here because all I experienced growing up from Christians or from church was judgment or control. And I think that's a huge issue. One of the motivations for planting Antioch, there's a lot at the top of the list was um, God told us to. Um, But setting that aside... uh, One of Tamar's and my motivations was we wanted to to have the church that we always wanted our kids to grow up in. We wanted to to be able to labor and pour our energy and to help and to build a community that was the type of community that we really wanted to be able to raise our kids in. To where it wasn't always about pushing them or trying to control them, but it really was about education and and nurture, and collaboration, and teamwork, and the grace of God working in their lives. That was really a driving passion, a driving motivation. And I think if we can grab hold of that, this is what it teaches us. It teaches us that there's always always encouragement for these children that we offer up to God. Because we serve a very big God, and I think there's a whole lot of things that we can say about Him. We're not going to run out of things to educate our children on. If you're hungry for grace, um, God's still a father and you're still a child, and we've got to center ourselves there. If you're frustrated because you've grown up in a Christian world or environment or community that didn't really speak of grace and acceptance and forgiveness and love, um, turn that into something because we can do something different here, different than maybe the way you experienced it growing up, different than maybe the way you've ever seen it. And, And that's the beauty of this is we can rewrite the rules. We can do child dedications at the end of a service even though we've never seen it done that way. You know, and I never figured out why the pastor had to always hold the crying baby. Because um, you know, to me that really felt like it was the all about me kind of a thing. You know, I don't know. And so what we really do, I'm going to ask the parents to go ahead and come up with the children. But what we really do with the child dedications here is simply this. We've asked the parents to write a prayer of blessing and dedication for their child. And we're going to, one by one, let those parents read that, pl- that prayer of blessing um, to you as a congregation so that you serve as witnesses to their commitment on how they are going to raise their family. Go ahead and come on up, and we'll just stretch a line across here. But parents are the primary disciples of their children. It is their responsibility, and it's them that have put into their own words their commitment to raise their children in the knowledge of the Lord. And so it's going to be pretty neat to just hear their own individual words. And there's, I think, a mic here. And they're going to all get a a child dedication certificate that will have a picture of them and their family. And it will have the prayer that they wrote out in here. Um, And that will be a keepsake for their children to be able to look back and know what it was their parents were thinking and how they worded it and what that commitment was. Um, So let's just go ahead and pray, and we'll just kind of commit this time uh, to the Lord. Father, uh, just as we seek to commit the young in this church, the children that you care about, the children that shouldn't be less important than the adults, that should be ushered actually into your presence, that they should be lifted up and celebrated, and we should be excited about them. I just pray that You would meet us here and just um, infuse the words that are spoken with meaning, that these prayers would be like the prayers in the Scriptures where parents prayed over and blessed and dedicated children unto You. None of us wants to do it alone as a church or as a parent. We want Your grace involved in everything that we do in trying to raise our children. Father, we have high hopes and we just pray for your blessing. In Christ's name, amen. So what I'm going to do is just hand the microphone to each couple, and they're going to introduce themselves. And then they're going to um, read for you. Who wants it? They're... Okay, Kyle. Kyle wants it. According to All right. I'm uh,
1: Kyle. This is my wife, Wendy Beal. And this is Olive. Just woke up. So, um... Are we supposed to pray like well, No, you can just read just it. Just read it? It's, it's okay. Okay, yeah. All right. (laughs) So,
0: um, Lord, we want to thank you for little Olive. Her life has already brought us so much joy. We pray for your protection over Olive's little body as she grows and develops. Protect her mind from the lies of this world. May your truths be clear to her from a young age that she may fervently seek more and more of you and your intimate love. Lord, use Olive as an instrument to bring joy to others and ultimately communicate your love in and throughout her life. Father, develop kindness and compassion in her. Give her a heart that bleeds for your cause. In your holy name,
1: amen. Uh, I'm Mark, and this is Debbie. And um, Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful, healthy child. We dedicate Garston Kona Asher to you today. He is your child, and we give him back to you. We're just watching him for you for a while. Help us as parents to have the wisdom, courage, and strength to lead him by example so that he will come to know you early, bless his life, and guide his steps daily, and keep him safe. And help him to remember that the steelhead is an ocean-going trout that can be caught on many different kinds of flies, (laughs) but the dry fly is best.
2: Uh, I'm Michelle, and this is my husband, Connor, and this is Isaac. I'm going to read a verse that's important to me for Isaac. Uh, It's from Ephesians 4, uh, verses 14 and 15 that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Um, Lord, I pray that you will take Isaac and use him to impact this world for you. I pray that he would be a beacon of light in a dark world, that he would shine from the light of your love. I pray that Isaac might be smart enough to search and question and listen to what others are saying, but wise enough to stand strong in, your faith, in his faith in you. Lord, please take Isaac today as your child. We give him to you.
1: Isaac, may God give you wisdom to seek truth with discernment. May God give you strength to stand firm in your beliefs and be a leader of your brothers and sisters. May God give you humility to see the good in all people, and may God give you laughter to enjoy life.
3: Good morning. My name is Chris Bridges. This is my beautiful wife, Darcy Bridges, and this is the beautiful Trenton Blair. Um, Darcy's going to read our prayer, but I just this is an amazing day for Darcy and I that we get to dedicate Trenton in front of our parents, who have given us a great foundation and, and the love of God, and he wants to speak. So we are, just, we are just truly blessed by him, and he is a perfect gift from above, and we are just so thankful for him and that our parents are here to witness this with us today.
4: And our theme verse is Ephesians three seventeen through 19. We based our vow off of that. Trent and Blair, my prayer for you is that you grow towards an understanding of God's amazing, tremendous love, that someday you may grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of God. And in doing so, I pray that you are filled with a holy discontent that fuels you towards a compassion for the vulnerable. Yeah. I wish for you a spirit of joy, and my dream for you is that you will be filled with a great passion to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love you. Hi, I'm Rochelle Simons, and this is my husband, Brandon. This is our little guy, Xander. Xander, uh, this is our prayer for you from 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 4. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. But this we know, that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. As your parents, Xander, we pray that we will reflect Christ's love. Even before you were born, we have been praying for you. Our hope is for you to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Through God's grace, we aspire to teach you about the lo- the Lord that we love and serve.
3: Uh, my name is Neil Coles. My wife, Angie, Lauren, Alana. I've never felt like I need more prayer than right now. My <laughs> three girls up here. Um Rosemary Margalie is the one we're dedicating today. And dear God, just thank you for the blessing of this new little child. We ask that you watch over and guide her all the days of her life. We pray that you grant Rosemary the gifts of grace and compassion, strength and courage, that you bless her with a fierce independence from the things of this world and a humble dependence on your son Jesus Christ. We ask that you guide and encourage us in our journey to raise Rosemary and that all her family and friends, whether intentionally or not, help move her closer to a personal relationship with you. We pray that all her days may be spent pursuing and experiencing the pure love and joy of a life committed to Christ, loving and serving others in your name. I'm uh, JC Nori, and this is my wife Jill, and these are our two little bundles of energy, uh, Tate and Emerson. Father, impress the truth of your love upon the hearts of our children. Fill them with skills to do all kinds of work as a testament to your glory. Lay strong foundations in their minds. Build them up as master craftsmen working your will. Grace them with endurance to run a righteous race and bless them with a light heart and quick mind to temper adversity. Shield them from that which would break their spirit. Empower us as parents and empower our community, united in Christ, to be the teachers, the friends, and the confidence that you need us to be. Amen.
0: And uh, as a congregation, just if. If your joy is to help these parents raise these kids in the knowledge of the Lord, um, don't say amen, don't say I do. Just show it with your strong and healthy applause. So. Hoping we can make this a church where we'd all want to raise our kids. And last thing is just this Jesus said of the little children that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And G.K. Chesterton said that angels fly because they take themselves lightly. Uh, and I think of some of the words. And when you see these little children, grace doesn't become this weird theological word. I think grace becomes a word that you say with a smile on your face. And so, May we walk away this morning with the idea of grace being a wonderful and exciting concept. That when we walk out into the community, we're excited to express to people the grace of God. When we come to church, we're excited to worship and to celebrate and to be around other believers because grace is an amazing thing, not just in the words of songs, but in the depths of our heart and it puts a smile on our face Let us fall in love with grace and in in the God who is gracious. So uh, let's pray one more time, and then uh, we'll say goodbye to these families. Father, uh, again, we just commit our young to you, and we know that they hold a special place in your heart and that you love them dearly. Give us the wisdom as a church and as families and as, as dads and as moms and as brothers and as sisters and everybody else just to how we can help nurture and encourage these people you care about so much. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.